Welcome to Femtech Focus with Dr. Brittany Barreto, exploring the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. Welcome to the Femtech Focus podcast, where we have meaningful and provocative conversations with femtech experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Barreto, and in today's episode, I interview Charlotte Cheung, CEO and co-founder of Misfits, our first lingerie episode. So exciting. Misfits is a modern approach to finding bras that fit. No sizing charge, no measuring tapes, just you, your breasts, and a bra that is made to fit them. What they have is a very data-driven assessment that you can take, and then you get a box of bras, you try them on, and you purchase the one that you like the best. We talk about the history of bras, which was so fascinating. I thought science got me excited, but the history of women's health is just, oh my God, it blows my mind. So we talk about the history of bras, and we also talk about what different women in different countries expect from their bras. They have different priorities in terms of what they want their bra to provide to them. Want to learn more about Misfits? You can go to misfits.co. Hey, Charlotte, welcome to the show. Hi, good to be here. I am so excited to have you and your company on our podcast because we admittedly have been doing a lot of, you know, medical, healthcare, you know, birth control episodes, but femtech is more than just healthcare. It's anything that affects women's health and wellness. And so Misfits is um, essentially a bra company. We're going to learn all about what you do and how that helps women. And I'm just so excited to have you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Well, let's start with your background, Charlotte. You said you're in Italy right now? I am, yes. This is where Misfits was born. Oh my gosh. Um, well, I'm start sure. from the beginning. Tell us about your journey. Sure, yeah. So I'm from uh, California originally, born and raised there. And um, I came from a completely different uh, background to what I'm doing now. So I was studying economics, political science, and um, after I graduated about uh, 10 years ago, I went to work in development finance and um, essentially working with banks in China on green finance and uh, small business lending. So that's what uh, what I was all about until about three years ago. And um, I call it my early midlife crisis, but I just decided to... <laughs> leave all that behind and uh, move to Italy and study lingerie design. Yes, queen. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it was a total kind of bait and switch. And I felt like it, it was something that I, I would, I'd always been interested in. I love lingerie as, um, as a clothing item and something mm-hmm. that I feel when you wear great, a great bra or great underwear, you just feel wonderful inside out. Mm-hmm. And so I was really interested in, um, in studying the design of it and starting my own brand. So, um, that mm. brought me to Milan. Was where, that scary? Uh, now. Was that scary to go from banking and finance to lingerie in Italy? <laughs> That's a really good question. It wasn't as it it wasn't that scary. No, I think I was so thrilled with all of it. I didn't have time to be scared. It was just so many new inputs, you know, and, and, um, and I was really exercising like a creative part of my Mm -hmm. brain that I hadn't used up until that point in my life basically. And so it was just really invigorating. It, it, it wasn't that scary. Awesome. I love it. Cool. So you get to Italy, you're studying lingerie. What happens next? I get to Italy. The first thing that happens is I realize I don't know how to buy a bra there because the sizing <laughs> system is different. It's like one, two, three, four, five, which if you can imagine, it's like buying shoes in small, medium, and large. Like I, I didn't understand yeah. um, how to, how to, how to do that. And um, at the same time, as I was talking to my friends and other women about what I was doing, every person had the same complaint, which is I hate my bra. I need a bra that does this and this and this for me. And this was repeated so often that um, at first I was thinking about it in terms of a product perspective, like how do we invent the perfect bra for everybody? Mm -hmm. And um, it became pretty quickly apparent that 
that's just not possible. Um, we have women, all of us have so many diverse needs and, um, and requirements in terms of what we're looking for, how we want to feel when we're wearing mm-hmm. a bra that, um, it didn't really make sense to put more product into the world. It was kind of figuring out why is it so hard today for us, for any of us to find something that really works. Yeah. And that led me down, down this path, which is, which is misfits. Oh, tell us about misfits. I'm, I'm so excited. I really, you know, I usually do some research beforehand, but for yours, I was like, I looked at your website. I said, okay, lingerie. I'm just going to go into this interview. I'm so excited. Just get surprised in the recording. (laughs) So what does misfits do? So essentially we help get women into bras that fit. Mm -hmm. And, um, when we were looking at the whole user experience of bras and why it's hard and, um, and why it's a frustrating piece of clothing to buy, we figured out pretty quickly um, that basically the tools that we have to look for bras today are poor. It's a size, mm-hmm. which, as I kind of mentioned earlier, is really unstandardized across countries, with across brands, and even within brands. Um, size is kind of a moving target, and so so that thing is hard to understand mm-hmm. and. Moreover, it's a system that was basically developed in the 1970s and hasn't really um, been updated till now. And what that means is it doesn't take into account any of the complexities about our breasts, which um, which are complex organs and um, <laughs> yeah, and weights and densities. And a size just can't tell you what's going to fit. So what's happening now is we're trying to navigate um, a quite confusing sizing system that doesn't let us know any more about our breasts or the kinds of bras that are going to fit them. And it's besides that creating a lot of inefficiency in the lingerie industry. Um, People are buying things that actually don't fit. Um, Lingerie companies are producing things that, um, that don't fit a lot of women and, uh, and to, to me, it just seemed like there has to be a better or more efficient way to, match people to what's already in the in the market definitely and when you say lingerie does that also include like sports bras Mm. yeah so this is a really good question um yes i mean technically lingerie as as kind of a trade term refers to anything that we wear underneath so all kinds of underwear um sports bras are really tricky though because the construction is so different from a wire Mm -hmm. bra and most of what determines how it's going to fit is based on the material and, Mm. um, and a lot of that space is innovating. Like companies are investing a lot into material development. And so it's always, it's always changing. Um, so we don't do sports bras right now Mm -hmm. because it's, it's a different way. We'd need to kind of analyze uh, what works and what doesn't, but, um, but totally interesting and very needed, uh, needed innovation. So Misfits is an e-commerce website? Mm-hmm. We are doing e-commerce. Um, this was a bit of a journey. So mm-hmm. we originally thought that what we would do was basically, so our goal was to basically find a universal way to size what's in the industry mm-hmm. and then make a personal fit matching service. Okay. And um, to do that through basically adding more dimensions to what is currently measured in a bra and then to collect data and collect information about everything in a breast and in a bra that need to match to create fit. Um, this was something that we thought would be interesting for lingerie retailers and moves, um, in terms of their e-commerce, their own uh, merchandising, their design. Um, we kind of believed that if we put the tech behind it or we put the study behind what is going to um, tell us what makes a bra fit a person, mm-hmm. that our business was going to be in selling to other businesses. Um, mm. was not true, at least um, when we were starting out <laughs> about half ago. So what we, what we learned was that women were very reactive to this problem. Uh, brands and retailers much less so. So yeah. they were, um, it, I mean, it's, I, I think the industry recognizes that there's an issue with sizing, but to actually sign a deal with any kind of big brand, it, it just takes months. And meanwhile, there were, um, I mean, 
there are lots of women just on our waiting list or taking the quiz and mm. asking next, uh, when can I, when can I, you know, use this quiz in my profile and put it into, into action. So we kind of, we ran a few tests with, uh, going B to C and we, um, one, the one that stuck was, uh, what we're doing now, which is, um, yes, yeah, selling B to C, uh, bra boxes, which is basically a curated set of bras that, um, we're choosing for our customers based on her breast shape and her requirements, the bra she's currently wearing. And, um, and so it, it comes in a set of three to five and what that essentially does besides bringing in revenue is it's also giving us direct feedback on the recommendation and everything that she keeps or sends back is a way to improve what we're recommending to everybody. Wow. This is so fascinating because in the medical industry and healthcare industry, we notice that there are big barriers to entry for femtech because the decision makers, whether that's the FDA or the hospital or doctors, they don't see this issue as that big of a deal. And so, you know, they have all of these outrageous requirements for a new technology, like a new med device to be approved or a new drug to be approved because they say, well, what exists now is fine. So you really have to do extra work to prove to us that we should adopt this new thing. Oh my gosh, it appears to be the same in lingerie for women where you were going to these, you know, retailers saying like, this is not working for women. It needs to be updated. And it looks well, and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like they dr- drag their feet on it in terms of this isn't an urgent matter. Like women are still buying our bras. So like this isn't that big of a deal. Definitely. Definitely. It, it was more challenging than I would have expected. And yeah. so much of the industry is just based on you know getting sales up and um, looking at it really like a fashion item rather than something that uh, needs to properly uh, properly fit. Yeah. So. Let's talk about that. What are the different dimensions that one has to take into account? I, I do believe most of our listeners have breasts, but you know, <laughs> I, even myself, I have breasts and I would like to know what are all the different dimensions? Cause in my mind, I'm like, well, there's the, there's the number for the, you know, circumference and then there's the cup size, but I'm sure there's lots of other dimensions that t- come into account. Yeah. So, um, the way we do it, Currently in the industry, as you know, we have the circumference of your rib cage and then your cup size, which is more or less the volume of your breast. Mm. But um, volume of your breast can take a ton of different shapes. So I think the easiest way to illustrate or the example that I like best is to think of two buildings with the same volume, like a skyscraper versus a pyramid. And if you think about that, those are totally different shapes and um, and they require, I mean, now, if we translate those to breasts, that would require a totally different uh, shape of cup. So we're talking about basically um, the width of your breast root is the area where your breast attaches to your chest. Mm. So the width, the height, um, how much it projects from your, how much your breast project from your chest uh-huh. and how much space you have between your breasts. Um, these are kind of the, the basic uh, parameters we'd want to know in order to suggest what kind of cup shape to go for, even if it is in your size. And so as you can imagine, what we look for or what we're measuring in the bras that we sell are very similar. So the cup width, the cup depth, how high it goes, how far apart the cups are, how far apart the straps are. um, So they don't fall off your shoulders. Mm -hmm. And um, Wow. That's super, super, like there's a lot of architecture there. (laughs) There's a lot of different numbers. A really sophisticated garment, like it has to, it has to weight bear and shape and stabilize and do all these things that um, that our other kinds of clothes don't need to do. So it's from an engineering perspective, it's it's really interesting as well. Is there any health benefits to wearing a bra? Like obviously, there was millennia that humans did not wear bras, and there's still probably mm-hmm. lots of cultures and you know individuals that choose not to, but. Why do we, yeah. why do we wear bras? Is it purely a cultural, like societal construct yeah. or is there health benefits to wearing a bra? Oh my gosh. This is such a, like, it's such a loaded question. Like, <laughs> there's so much about it. Um, I, okay. So if we, I'm going to start 
from now and work backwards a little bit. So if we talk about the health benefits of wearing a bra or wearing the wrong bra, let's say, um, especially for um, women with heavy breasts, uh, wearing a bra that's not supportive enough can cause back pain mm-hmm. and uh, all kind like a lot of this is anecdotal, but I've been hearing it a lot, anxiety and other mood problems. And, and this is something that um, there are many kind of conflicting studies about the actual benefits of wearing a bra and whether they're related to breast cancer or mm-hmm. other kinds of health issues. It's, it's, I, I am basically comfortable saying the jury's still out, but I would also say that just like wearing the wrong size shoe is kind of bad for you, yeah. <laughs> wearing the wrong size bra is just going to, it's just going to cause you problems. And um, if you are somebody who chooses to wear a bra, you can um, exist much more comfortably if it's, if it's fitting you correctly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So as to, as to the origin of bras and shapewear, I mean, I think the earliest documented examples are in um, ancient Greece when, um, when women were wearing kind of almost like a, a wrap around, mm. around their breasts while sport. And then there have been all kinds of um, iterations since then in different places and different geographies around the world. But um, it was really after World War I that bras took off as, a, as an everyday item um, when we kind of in the West dropped the corset and, mm. um, and started going for, for bras. Yeah. Has, has the movement towards bras been a like um, something that women wanted to do or is there any history around like men wanted us to wear them? Do we know? Um, yeah. So actually it's what, one of the things I love about studying the garment is how much like social political history there is around it. Yes. So when, yeah. So when they became popular it was really, um, it was because during World War One uh, in the U.S., the War Industries Board basically asked women to stop wearing corsets because they needed that extra wire to use to build warships. And Whoa. it was, yeah. So like something like because um, manufacturers stopped producing corsets, um, they're like twenty eight thousand pounds of steel. Oh my god! Oh my god! Ships and then. Um, and at the same time, women were being asked to do manual labor in mm-hmm, factories mm-hmm. and it required a supportive undergarment. Um, and, and so therefore the bra industry, like the, there was, there was a demand there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, uh, since then till now it's, it, it's been more or less there. <laughs> yeah. Are there countries or cultures today and around the world that are like, don't wear bras like historically? Or is it pretty much around the globe? Everyone's wearing a bra. I'm sure there are countries and cultures that don't, or I, I'm not the right person to ask about which ones. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just wondering. I'm just putting you on the spot. Yeah, I'm just curious because I'm sure there's, you know, areas that, you know, they're, well, there's, there's cultures that may not, you know, necessarily demand women wear undergarments but also that I know there's individual women you know who are just kind of wearing the shirt you know um yeah yeah and especially during quarantine and lockdown now it's um a lot of a lot of people have come out and basically said yeah I I, I don't need to be wearing this and so it's interesting um yeah and you know, I also think there's some other, well, there's, all right, some, I should rephrase that. There's so much like, um, societal and cultural things around bras, because I know even for myself, like as a teenager and then early twenties, I always wore like push up bras with a, a wire and all this padding because I was like, well, this is what women do. You know, you gotta have them supported and up and here and present and, for the last like four years or so, I just wear it's it's kind of like a sports bra, but it's like has some padding. And that's just what I like to wear. It's just way more comfortable for me as a B cup. You know, I'm like, I don't need all that extra support, but I just need something to keep me, you know, together and comfortable. And um, to the point that sometimes when I do try to dress up and I do put on like a push up bra, I'm like, oh, my God, how the hell did I wear this all the time? You know, yeah. 
Yeah, I really wonder sometimes because I, I I've gone through the same evolution myself, and like part of it is trends. You know, what was popular in the mm. '90s is it, it has changed a lot. But part of it, I I mean, I also have to believe it's the same way. I don't. I I almost feel like I can't wear heels anymore. It's, <laughs> it's just like in my twenties, I wasn't sensitive to discomfort or something. And yeah. Now yes. I'm, I'm, I really care about being really comfortable. Yeah. So. Um, so of course that impacts what I'm looking for in my bra. Definitely. So how many bras, well, let me, all right. So how many bras have you sold, but also like how many women are are wearing your misfit bras, but I'm actually more even interested in how many people have taken your assessment. Yeah. So, um, right now we're at about 6,500 women who've taken the quiz and, um, and created a profile with Mm -hmm. us. Um, and that was something we launched before we were selling anything. And we just wanted to see who is, is the quiz doable? Are people going to be yeah. interested and, um, and engaged in what we're building? And um, so, so that's on the quiz and the bras, which we started selling a couple months ago, where we sold 500 something bras at nice. this point. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it's, it, it's been also interesting to see, there's a difference between who takes a quiz and who, who needs a service like mm. misfits in their life. Um, so it's been, yeah, I, I would just say it, it's been kind of um, a process of understanding even better who, who is our target customer here and what need they want um, fixed from us. Have you heard from women about this assessment telling them that there's something totally different than they've ever worn their whole life? Mm. Okay. Um, I would, okay. So yes, in the sense that I, okay, not totally different from what they've worn, but probably the revelation that came out of the assessment, Mm. just the quiz takers was, oh my gosh, I never thought of brows this way. As Mm. in, um, at the end of the quiz, we were giving some recommendations about, uh, what women could shop for when they were looking for bras. Um, the, the way I think the some of the vocabulary and diagrams that we used um, were really instrumental to some people saying, wow, I, I never realized that that fit problem that I always have with my bras, for instance, my straps falling, mm-hmm. was because of how far apart they sit on the bra. And so that means I need to look for this style. Mm-hmm. Um, normally, so when people have their kind of, um, I don't know what to call like a bra revelation <laughs> is when are actually a different size than they thought they were. Yeah. Um, and this really happens when we send them a box because what we don't like to do when they're just taking the quiz is to say, Hey, you're a different size than you, than you thought you were for a variety of reasons. I think it's really loaded the way we think about size generally and, oh, yeah. um, and, size. and it's something that, most women basically get sized once, maybe when we're 16 and then just think that that's what we wear. <laughs> oh my God. I, I'm laughing because I've only been sized once and it was when I was 16. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, me too. And the thing is because, because I find it uncomfortable like, to be sized and, and we don't really talk about this fact that breasts change a lot throughout our lifetimes. And one of the things that's been really interesting about doing this um, business is that it's actually helping us collect information on a massive scale. Um, eventually, how much do our breasts change in size and shape throughout our lifetimes? Apparently, nobody knows right now, which oh, is to me crazy. My like, God, that's so um, femtech. That is so femtech. Like, yeah, we're pretty. I mean, obviously, as the owner of bro- boobs, I know they change, but apparently, nobody's ever looked. <laughs> No one's ever yeah. measured it. <laughs> yeah. So it's something where, you know, if somebody takes a fit quiz and you can kind of tell, okay, probably the size isn't working right now, but you, as just an, as just a screen, you don't want to tell anybody like, oh, you're wearing the wrong size. That doesn't mm. feel good as a user. So it's, um, and, and besides sizing being unstandardized, it's, um, it, it's hard to communicate that, mm-hmm. um, in a, what we felt was a responsible way. So, so more what happens is, um, often when people order a box, we'll send them a few different sizes and just say, Hey, you know, this might not be what you're used to wearing, but give it a try anyway. Um, just see how you feel in it. Let us know. And 
often when um, people do end up liking a very different size than what they were wearing, that's when somebody comes and says, oh my gosh, I, I didn't know that, um, that I could fit into this size or that I actually am this size. And, um, and, and it feels good for, for both us and for them when we achieve that kind of result. It's like, there's a, there's a learning taking place. Yeah, absolutely. A learning about their own body and like what fits them. Um, what in your assessment, like, how are you figuring out the, cause you're talking about like the, the, the root of the boob, right? The breast, like the root of it, how wide is it? How far apart is it? Like, how are you asking women to measure these things on a digital assessment? Oh yeah. That's a great question because we debated so long how we wanted to make this interface, whether you do scan it or do you like things we do. And the answer was really, um, people don't need a high tech solution. Um, and especially, I mean, I would say here the market wasn't really ready for it. And meanwhile, there were other ways we could make it more fun. So what we do is we ask like, okay, like touch your armpit. Is there boob there? If there is, it means like, you know, you have a wider base. Mm. And if there's no, you have a narrow base, you're probably more skyscraper shaped. And that kind of process where it's a bit interactive and they feel involved, mm-hmm. we realize in user testing that that makes people more committed to the outcome mm-hmm. um, rather than us just, you know, if we were to scan or do something more um, hands off. Yeah. I think there's less engagement and therefore less um, investment to, to what's going to come out of the end of it. Because right now people kind of treat the, the fit quiz as a, as a personal personality test almost. Mm-hmm. It's like they go through and they want to know all these things about their breasts and, uh, and, and what is going to work for them. So. Yeah. And it's like when you're asking them to, you know, touch the armpit area and whatnot, it's like you're, um, discovering your own body, right? The user, yeah. the woman is discovering her own self. She's meeting her own breasts in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I care about you guys. You know, we're gonna, we're gonna get something that fits you well. <laughs> I'm gonna know what's going on for, yeah. you know, maybe the first time ever, because we don't really grow up with words to describe our breasts mm-hmm. or know how to, how to talk about the shape. So yeah. Yeah, Totally. In, in your assessment, do you have like lifestyle uh, questions? Because I know for me, like based on my lifestyle, I don't need nor desire a push-up bra, right? Like yeah. I just need something that fits and works and I can be on the move. I also live in Houston, Texas, and it's super freaking humid. And like any kind of padding on my body in any place, I'm just like, no, get it off. You know, it's way too hot here to have any extra layers. So do you have those kind of questions in the assessment too? Yeah. So we, so two parts to this, um, question, which is when we do ask, so we ask like, are you standing most of the day? Are you sitting? Are you cycling? Um, and this one, we don't even have a very good, um, let's say direct recommendation, like women who cycle need to wear bras like this. It's a question to actually get us to, to help us learn about are the women who, cycle all the time do they request a certain kind of bra or is there a specific kind that that feels better for them Mm. um so that's one part of what we ask the other part is um we do ask stylistically like what are you looking for in a bra and this was this still is open form um we started as an experiment through email with our mailing list like ladies it just if you want to order, if you were to order a bra right now, what are all the things you'd ask for? And what are all the things you would not want? And it's pretty amazing how specific um, women are when it comes to what they're looking for Mm -hmm. and things that you couldn't just filter for um, on Amazon or something. It's really like, I need the strap to be this thick. I need this much padding and I need um, the wires to feel this way. And it's like, okay, hearing people put it into their own words, what they're looking for it just gives us a much deeper understanding of how to um, how to find them the right item, and it, it it gets us closer to their psychology when they're thinking about buying the thing. So even you know, fit is kind of the first step, but then there are all these other things that need to work about the 
the garment itself in order to make a, like a happy purchasing process. Yeah. Wow. This is, is fascinating. I'm just going through my history of bra wearing myself, (laughs) thinking about, you know, all the different phases I've been through and, um, you know, where, where I'm currently at. And, you know, I can remember as a teenager, I struggled with uh, fibromyalgia in my shoulders. And so I didn't necessarily have these large breasts, but the straps were very sensitive to me based on the muscles on my shoulders, you know? And so it's like bras affect a lot more than just the front of your breasts, right? It's like, actually it's like going around your whole body. It's coming up around the top. Like there's all these different factors to take into account. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's like, it's, they, they do heavy, like not even to, to, be punny about it. It's like they, they do a lot of heavy lifting and, and they, they, they deserve some, some examination. So, yeah. so that's good. How often should a, a woman get a new bra, right? So like how yeah. long it can one, can one bra last? Cause in my mind it's indefinitely. And I think that's probably the wrong answer. So <laughs> what is the like recommended lifetime of a bra? So normally recommended is about 18 months if you're wearing it once every three days. So oh, um, that's so, I got to so, get some new bras. <laughs> like I'll say that's recommended. Mm-hmm. What after the elastic stretches out and it can support in the same way that a new bra can. I will say that it is so common, basically myself included to once you find your unicorn bra, as I call it, like you find yes. that one so good. It's like, I'm going to wear this for 10 years now. Like I, I just, I'm going to wear it every day for 10 years. And that's how a lot of us basically treat our, our bras. I'm wearing my unicorn bra right now. Yep. I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. You know, when I have boyfriends, I think to myself or girlfriends for that matter, like maybe I should occasionally change up my bra because they're going to notice I literally wear the same one every day. But it's so true. It's my unicorn bra. It's the one I feel comfortable in and it fits and I have no issues. And it's just like part of my body, you know? And you want all the bras that you own to feel that way. Like that's an ideal outcome. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. This is fascinating. And, you know, what is uh, your experience been like talking about bras in Italy versus the United States? Do you, is Italy just like more open to it or, you know, is it because they love fashion or, you know, what what's that oh cultural God. difference like? I've learned so much and it's also really fun to compare between like Italy and France and Germany and, mm. and UK and the US because there are lots of like uh, we're, we're, we're educated from the time we're little girls about how to wear bras and, and what it means mm-hmm. to a lady wearing a bra. And so a lot of these carry over into adulthood. So the first, um, I think, kind of fun thing that I learned was that, I mean, in the U.S., I think it is not common to buy your bras and underwear in a set as people do it, but it's not a default action. No, um, no. No, I, I mean, I just never thought about that. And that was a big cultural oversight when I came here. And um, and when we started selling bra boxes, people started asking, yeah, but it's weird to buy without underwear. And Whoa. I realized that in Europe, it's, it's really like a lot of women just strictly prefer to buy insets. And um, Does that I mean, mean they have I, as many bras as they do underwear? They might even. That's a good question. I think they have more underwear than bras because a lot of women told me they buy two underwear for every bra. Um, but still, that's a lot of bras. Like my proportion of how many bras I own compared to how many underwear I own, like that's very different. <laughs> Whoa. It's very different. And and it also means you have to like coordinate your laundry days and stuff. I don't know. It's it's um Yeah. It's too- <laughs> And, um, and then there's also this, when we were doing our market surveys, we were asking women, what is the thing that you want your bra to do for you? And by and large, American, um, American respondents answered, I need my bra to cover my nipples. Like, this is very important. That's why we have things like t-shirt bras. So you can cover your nipples. Um, in France, for instance, it's, it's that need 
is not there. Yeah. I mean, I won't say it's not there, but people are looking for much different things. They're looking for a bra that supports and lifts and centers, but it's not the first thing that comes to mind. The bra needs to cover my nipples. Wow. Uh, Like that's totally American censorship, right? Where we're like, we need to hide. And the French are just like, I want to support and present, you know? You're like, wow, this is what you, and and I mean, in Italy, there's still a lot of women, not, I, I mean, it's just the push-up style is still really in vogue. Whereas I feel that in the U S it's kind of fallen out of fashion, but Mm -hmm. it's just, um, it's really interesting for me to see culturally, like what are the things that people expect the bra to do? Mm -hmm. And, and it's different. Wow. And what about like material? Is there a certain, like, you know, do, does European want it to be more beautiful and lacy or is there some differences Mm -hmm. there? There's a lot of requests for lacy um, and breathable. I think mm. breathable is very, like, very commonly asked for because we're not basically working with U.S. customers now. Shipping is too expensive. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the average American woman would ask for mm-hmm. in um, in terms of material, but what I definitely see here is I want to you know, sexy, lacy, breathable. Yeah. Well, breathable, we've come a long way from the corset then, huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've come a long way from that. Wow. Well, this has been so fascinating. Is there any other bra or breast facts you want our listeners to know about before I ask you our last two questions? Um, let me think. One of it, so what we do um, pretty... I, I like to geek out about bra trivia. Oh, so, yes. Give us the <laughs> trivia. So one of my favorite facts is that the um, spacesuits worn by the astronauts oh. who first went to the moon were sewn by bra seamstresses because they basically needed like a super high-tech garment that um, that wasn't going to let any holes in when they were in outer space. Yeah. And so um, NASA hired Playtex to sew the first spacesuits using like no pins to hold it together. Otherwise that would make holes. And so they got these incredibly talented seamstresses to, to put it together. And so through 17 layers um, to make these spacesuits, which I just think is amazing. God, talk about hidden figures. Once again, it's women that are behind the biggest (laughs) innovations in the world. (laughs) wow it's like an overlooked um garment and the technology behind it but you really need some good hands and Mm. good eyes and and good sense of engineering in order to in order to to make a yes i want more trivia but really quickly do we know what astronauts wear for bras because they're so conscious about the weight of how much weight goes up in the ship and stuff do we know about that wow I don't know, but I'm going to research. Yeah, let us know. So, so interesting. Because <laughs> like, what are the, um, you know, requirements of the weight versus, you know, doing their job? And has anyone ever thought about it? Or are women astronauts just like in a secret club talking about how this sucks and no one's, you know, accommodating <laughs> their breasts in space or what? I'm, I'm, wow, I'm so curious. I'm going to, I'm going to look it up. Perfect. Cool. <laughs> and do you have any other fun facts? Oh, um, I, I could go on and on, but um, I'll, I'll do one more, which is I just learned this week, actually, that when Disneyland first opened, there was this character in, in Disneyland called the Wizard of Bras. This was in 1955. And basically, um, <laughs> Disneyland, when the park opened, they were leasing out their stores to different local businesses to help fund the park. Mm-hmm. And there was a lingerie shop that rented a a property on main street. And they had this character that was like this spinning head that would talk to visitors, um, out of a tape recorder, like the wizard of Oz, um, who was actually educating them on lingerie history and, and showing them through like bras from the Victorian era, which I thought was really interesting. That's super uh, interesting. And, uh, you know, I just think of all of the like angry moms in America right now would hate that. So I'm really glad that there was at least a moment that that existed at Disneyland. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, this has been so much fun. Let me, let me ask you a few more questions here. Um, 
We have a lot of listeners that are aspiring femtech founders. They want to do something in the industry. They're really excited about it, but they don't know what to work on. What are some things in women's health and wellness that still need innovating? Oh, that's a wonderful question. So in the boob space, one that I heard really recently was from a a first-time mother, and she was really requesting something like a wearable to help her with breastfeeding because Mm -hmm. She said, um, I have no idea when I'm breastfeeding how much milk I'm actually producing mm-hmm. and insane that there's no way to know. And it's the kind of thing that's really obvious when somebody says it to you. But um, obviously, like from this conversation, um, I, I've, I'm not a mother and I've never breastfed before. But she was kind of asking for this solution. So yeah. um, I thought that was an interesting one in boob tech. In femtech generally, I mean, there's so many... Um, so many different frontiers. Uh, One I'm kind of personally interested in maybe is um, pain, like the Mm. pain that women experience and whether that can be studied to um, a greater extent because it's quite common and, um, and there's actually no, uh, I feel like there's, there's not a lot of good research around it. We don't have good names to, to be able to talk about, identify the pain or where it's coming from. And it's, it's a lot of women just kind of live with chronic, chronic pain. And I would love to see some research and innovation around, around that area to help yeah. women give vocabulary, give words to how I'm feeling and, and why it feels bad and how bad it feels. Um, yeah. On any given and you mean pain in like any given area in the body? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And which again, in, I, from the conversations I've had with other women, a lot of the time it's, it seems to be generalized pain, mm-hmm. but again, because we're not, we don't really have the tools to, to talk about it and to identify where it's coming from. Um, I don't know. Like, I don't know if it's actually more localized than it feels. Yeah. Um, it's a whole area. I, I, I don't know anything about it, but I'm so deeply curious. Like there has to be, there has to be something here because it's, it's pretty common for, yeah. for women thinking about like, I, I don't feel good today and I don't really know why, but I'm just going to like, it's going to deal with it. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, that kind of ties in my other interest around um, PTSD and like holding emotion in your body because, you know, I mentioned mm-hmm. earlier on this episode that I had fibromyalgia in my shoulders. Well, Technically, that's the word the doctors gave me, right? But it turns out that um, as I grew up, a few elements in my life were changed and that were very stressful. And once those stressful things were removed, I no longer had pain. And so for personally, I've never had a doctor tell me this, but personally, I'm like, that pain was just stress. You know, like they gave it the word fibromyalgia, but it was just like trauma. You know, it was just like my body being crunched up and scared or whatever. Right. And so it's like, how do we bring in the feminine energy and the, you know, our maternal instinct to know energies and how people are feeling and, and blur that in with medicine, right. To know, like, this isn't always a protein problem. This isn't always a genetic disease. You know, sometimes it's your um, um, energy in your home affecting your cells. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. Definitely. Mm-hmm. It's something that we don't kind of discuss. Or, or let's say, I, I mean, I think women do discuss it. We discuss it amongst ourselves. Amongst ourselves, um, yeah. But it's not really um, been seen as legitimate mm-hmm. so far. Yep. I mean, the stress of the pandemic is making um, massive amounts of women lose their period. You know, like our bodies respond to stress, like in drastic wow. ways, you know, like there's all these articles about women saying, I've lost my period. Am I okay? And it's like, yep, it's just, you're distressed. And it's like, our bodies wow. respond to that stuff, you know? Yeah. 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 That's nuts, but it's, yeah. crazy. Mm-hmm. And our last question is, um, you know, femtech focus, we're passionate about empowering the industry as a whole. And, you know, we are curious, what do you think the industry needs the most right now? Oh, oh, wow. Um, there are, okay. Um, I love what you're doing. And, uh, basically I think I would have said first visibility Mm -hmm. and um, because it does give legitimacy to the industry and the more visibility there is, the more it's like, this is a real thing. Um, Mm -hmm. That's, 
but but there are many um, people and organizations, including yourselves, who are doing that work. Mm-hmm. I think that one thing I'd really, as the sector becomes more visible, I think it's also important to emphasize that a lot of the work that's being done, it's still we're still learning. We're all learning, even the people who are trying to innovate within the sector. And so it's, I think it's always tricky as uh, working in maybe a previously overlooked market or, um, or a kind of industry such as this, where if, if a certain solution doesn't work, people are going to, people are going to get mad. But in my opinion, not not rightly so. We're in an experimental phase. We're doing this <laughs> yeah. and no more. And so it's, I feel almost like taking, maybe understanding that this is a process. It's a process of learning mm-hmm. and experimentation and innovation to find truly better solutions. And we're in a phase where we see lots of solutions coming out and not mm-hmm. everyone is going to work perfectly for every person, mm-hmm. but we can be a bit forgiving and, um, and, understand that the industry is nascent um yeah. then that would be really cool and hopefully even encourage more people to dip their toes in and and experiment in ways we really need yeah um, i love that because as a vc myself you know we expect about 90 percent of our portfolio to fail right so if we make 10 investments and this is insane, by the way, as I say this, this is not something that I think is smart, but it's just how the industry works. If you make 10 investments, you expect nine to fail and one yeah. to be so big of a winner that it exceeds all of the other losses and gives you a return, yeah. right? Like that's insane to me, by the way, but that's just how the industry works. <laughs> and so um, I've noticed that female founders, but I think this also applies to femtech founders, um, because those are not one in the same necessarily. We have this higher expectation for ourselves that we have to be that winner because we think that investors took a chance on us, right? And wow. I just want to like, because I'm a post, you know, I, I'm a female founder and my last company closed. And, you know, it was so freaking stressful when we closed our company. And I thought, oh my God, I let down all the women in Houston, Texas who want to start a company because I had such a high bar, right? And so I wonder if that's kind of the same for Femtech where we're like, damn, we need, everyone needs to be a winner because we're trying to prove to everyone that this is a lucrative business and that it's important and it's good. But also like, we should just hold ourselves to everyone else's standards. Like everyone who's making an enterprise software company, you know, like who who's like, well, if I win or lose, whatever, like Femtech should have a similar feeling. That is so enlightening. Yeah. Actually hearing, hearing you say that really, we do hold ourselves to a high standard. And even the Mm -hmm. questions that I, and I'm sure many others are asked by investors are, you know, does it work? Are you sure that it works? Yes. Like, I mean, I think we have some, we're working on the evidence and, and I do think it works, but if, you know, if you want a 100% hit rate every time, it's, I I can't stand behind that. No, it's, um, yeah, I don't know that. Yeah. Cause other industries, investors will say like, well, this is so interesting. Let's see. But with femtech, it's like, well, you know, are you sure women will buy it? Are you sure? And you're like, well, this has literally never been made before. I have no data to show you women will buy this thing because I could do research, you know, but until you fund me to build it, I can't tell, you know, but it's like such higher yeah. expectations for us. Yeah. 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 Wow. <laughs> well, I am on a mission to change that. I am, you know, one of my goals at Femtech Focus is to actually educate investors about the potential for returns on investment in femtech because women are not niche we are most of the population you know <laughs> like <laughs> we're not niche we're for profit yeah. we are yep um, yep that's right you know and i was also think we uh um episode before you is about menopause and you know we were talking about there's there's a lot of attention in terms of education and money and media around fertility but if you think about it, not every woman has a baby, but you know what? Every woman does have menopause. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, why are we putting so much money and time and education in something that only a portion of women actually experience versus nothing going into menopause, no research, no money, no attention, no anything. And it's like, but that's the guaranteed biological process that every woman will experience. 
population. Like, yeah. Yeah. Eight people. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Oh God. I love this podcast. I just, it's just so fun. Seriously. It's so fun. Um, thank you so much, Charlotte, for being on the show. This was super awesome to have our first lingerie um, episode. And I learned so much about breasts today. I really did. Oh, I'm happy. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. awesome. We'll circle back around. Maybe we'll do a whole episode on breasts in space. Let's do it. I, I'm going to do my research. I'll write you afterwards. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Charlotte. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to my interview with Charlotte Chung, CEO and co-founder of Misfits. Who knew bras could be so complex and scientific? I don't know about you, but I definitely own my unicorn bra and maybe it's time to, uh, you know, let myself lean into the data and the assessment and find multiple unicorn bras to wear instead of just relying on one to, to carry me through. Now, you heard that we talked about bras in space, and Charlotte said she was going to look it up, and she did. She is a woman of her word, and she emailed me that I, I'm going to read you her response. So she says, so the deal on astronaut bras is that female astronauts do wear sports bras to keep them from bouncing in zero-gravity situations. But that led me, which is Charlotte, down another rabbit hole, which is that spacesuits had always been designed only for men. And it was only last year in 2019 that NASA started using unisex spacesuits. Wow. Incredible. Like also sad and like happy about the progress, but also like what WTF. (laughs) So, so interesting to when you look in who knew lingerie could have such a complex, you know, story behind it. Well, if you want your box of bras that fit you uh, perfectly as as a unicorn bra, go to misfits.co. And I just want to remind everyone, today's the last day to sign up for the Femtech Forum by Women of Wearables. Their virtual conference, Femtech Forum, is taking place tomorrow on June 25th. Get your tickets, womenofwearables.com. Femtech Focus is a very proud community partner of that organization and that conference. It's going to be great. Now, if you love this podcast as much as I do, make sure to share it. Don't just share it with the ladies. Share it with the men. Share it with your mom. Share it with your daughter. Share it with your professor. Share it with everybody. And follow us on social at Femtech Focus. And until next time, keep innovating because improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health and wellness.